Good morning, everybody. I welcome you back to your seats. Grab your Bibles. Make your way to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. We pick up where we left off like we do, going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Bust it open, and the gospel's going to go out to all the world. So with that, let's uh, have a word of prayer. Ask the Lord for his mercy and grace. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. We know what Jesus taught us, that apart from him, we can do nothing. It's all about the Holy Spirit and yielding to him in our hearts. These truths are spiritually discerned. Lord, so help us by your spirit to understand them, uh, to make sense of what your spirit is saying. You brought us all here. You've directed our footsteps. Uh, Here we are. We open our hearts to see why you brought us here to hear your voice and to have life by putting it into practice in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Well, every once in a while, we get what we call an aha moment, a moment of sudden realization. You know, the little light bulb just suddenly goes on, and you get it and connect the dots There's a burst of inspiration. It's often very life-changing, is it not? Um, I mean, they happen personally and in ministry and spiritual matters. Uh, I recall a big uh, aha moment for myself. Uh, Ten years ago or so, I was kind of looking for a new position in ministry. I had outgrown my position as an associate pastor, and I felt God's calling to be a senior pastor. And uh, in the application process for non-denominational churches and evangelical churches, uh, I was in the running for several positions, and it would come down to two or three guys, and I was in the mix. Until uh, when we had the interview, I would let my philosophy of ministry uh, be known. And so I would say something like, well, my number one priority is I want to go verse by verse through the scriptures, like starting at Genesis and ending in Revelation, and not skip anything, just go verse by verse and teach the Bible. And, And the other thing that's really important to me is evangelism and soul winning. I think that's kind of why we're here. Build up the church with the word of God and reach out. Uh, in evangelism, and then I would hear back, well, that's nice, but we're actually looking for a pastor with with a strong desire to reach out to the community, to be community-minded, or they'd say something like, oh, uh, that's nice to preach like that, but it's a little narrow and restrictive. We would like you to be able to preach on a wide variety of relevant topics. And I just thought, how is this gonna work? Because it was at church after church, and they would say, we're looking for one, two, and three, and I'd be saying, I'm looking for three, two, and one. And, and so how does this work? And it, it was a profound dilemma. Till one day, my wife said casually, you know, have you ever started thinking about planting a church? Yourself, And then if you plant the church, you would be able to implement the vision that you feel God is giving you. It may be a small church, but at least you will know that you are being true to the calling that God has given you. Bing! (laughs) A light came on. It's like, why did I think of that? (laughs) You know, it just never entered my mind. It just never entered my mind. I didn't see that happening. And so uh, the rest, as they say, is history. Now, here in Acts chapter 10, the light bulb is going to come on for a very Jewish apostle named Peter and a very Jewish Christian born-again church The first 10 years of Christianity happened to Jews. They were Jewish, which is so ironic because today, if you talk to a Jew, they're like, hey, don't even talk to me. I'm a Jew. Well, you know what? (laughs) For the first 10 years, that's all there was, basically, were Christians who were born again who happened to be Jewish because Christianity is a Jewish thing. It's a fulfillment of Jewish promises and and all of this. And so to understand Peter's aha moment and how significant it will be not only for Peter, 
but for the whole Jewish evangelical church at the time, you have to understand that knowing God and serving God could only happen one way in the Old Testament for 2,000 years from Abraham. The Lord said, I'm going to reveal my truth to you, Abraham, and to your descendants. And this nation shall be my depository of truth. I will reveal myself to you, my promises, the prophecies, the the way to approach God. And if anybody really wanted to know God in the fullest way and to serve him, they would have to in some way come into fellowship with Jews and Judaism to really know God in the fullest sense of what that meant. That's the Old Testament. So let's appreciate the struggle for these Jews because now Jesus shows up and is talking about this new testament. And he says, now that, the, that Israel has produced their Jewish Messiah, he is related to Abraham through his mother. He is God, the God-man who man in his manhood was a Jew. Now that Israel produced the savior of the world, we are free, whosoever will, to come directly to him who paid out for our debts and our sins by his own blood and find life. Do not have to worry about coming to a nation when the Savior is out in front. And Jesus called this the new covenant. Well, how would you like to live in between the covenants? To be born in the Old Testament, but to die in the New Testament, like Peter. Peter was born in the Old Testament, and he lived and came to faith in the New Testament and died proclaiming Christ under the new covenant. So to appreciate being kind of stuck in the place where suddenly the Old Testament is fading away forever. The New Testament has come and has left 2,000 years of the way to do relationship with God is over because of Christ. So we can appreciate, man, 2,000 years of history of doing relationship with God through Peter's understanding and all of the Jews' understanding, uh, the struggle there. And so Acts chapter 10 shows what God had to do to help Peter and the early church, who are Jews, to get over their hurdle, to understand what it means to have a New Testament understanding of God the Son calling whosoever will to come, anybody from any background, having done anything, Black and white, rich, poor, tall, short, it just didn't matter. And this was a very new concept for them. So you're going to see God do this extravagant thing in Acts chapter 10 to bring that idea and turn on the light bulb for Peter and then from Peter to the church and then boom, the doors are open to the whole world and there's no turning back. From Acts chapter 10, there's a little bit of struggle along the way, but there's no turning back. So we're going to take a look at that. Verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. Now, later we find out he was indeed praying. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to, God, to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who's also called Peter, He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them off to Joppa. So if you're taking notes, you can pause. We're going to eventually go through the chapter, Lord willing. Number one, God commissions a Gentile. The word Gentile just means not Jewish. 
of another nation. And so here's this Roman centurion. Now, centurion just means that he is over 100 soldiers, hence the name centurion, right? And uh, every time the Bible mentions a centurion, it's in favorable light. They are kind of disciplined, upright kind of uh, military men uh, who are loyal and uh, they are good leaders. And so here we have this man who is serving at Caesarea. I'm gonna show you a picture of an aerial shot of Caesarea. You can hit the lights in. Uh, down at the bottom of the screen where you see the amphitheater, we stood there in May, there in Caesarea on our trip to Israel. And this is the place where Rome had what's called in your text the Italian regiment or cohort. Uh, there were 32 stations from where Rome ruled the empire. And one of those 32 was in Caesarea, where Rome did its business occupying Israel. Pontius Pilate lived in that little jetty. If you go to the bottom where the Colosseum is and just turn uh, into the ocean there, you see this little jetty forming out there. That is the remains of where Pontius Pilate had his residence. And so it's in this region that Cornelius is praying. He's a non-Jewish guy who kind of, thank you for the picture, he, he, he kind of fell in love with the God of Israel. You know what? He, he didn't go for the gods and goddesses of the Roman times, you know, this Zeus guy. Every time he got mad, there were thunderbolts in his hands. And, and you know, he was uh, an adulterer. He would sleep with the other goddesses, you know. And then uh, Athena, the god of wisdom, the goddess, she, she was formed by springing full-grown out of Zeus's forehead. You know, anybody who's born out of a forehead, that's just not, that's not cool, all right? That's not wisdom. <laughs> he said, you know what? The Roman gods are running around, throwing temper tantrums, coveting, they're jealous, vengeful, fighting and warring, and sleeping with one another. With gods like that, who needs a devil? You know what I'm saying? Right, so he, he says, this is whacked. I, I don't buy this. Now he gets stationed in Israel, and he's an upright kind of military guy, and he wants to do the right thing, and Rome is in a moral freefall right now. If you're reading your history books, Rome is disintegrating morally. They have legislation in what defines marriage at that time in Rome. He's a guy now who hears of this God who says marriage is between a man and a woman, and you shouldn't cheat on one another. And you shouldn't commit adultery or lie, or that you should love uh, even your enemies. In the Old Testament it says, so he's drawn. He's like, this is what I'm looking for. And he's praying. It doesn't say what he's praying for, but we do find out he's instructed in what he needs to do in response to his prayers. God, I, who are you? I'm drawn. Who's the God of Israel? Who, who are you? Save me. Save me. Include me. I'm on the outside. I'm looking in. How do I know you? I love this. I love you. I don't know who you are. Who are you? The Lord says to an angel, go tell that man. I've got some answers for him. He needs to go find one of my disciples and bring him on in, and he will be told what he must do. You see, this man, Cornelius, was one of the sheep that didn't belong to the pen of the sheep of Israel. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 16 to the Jews, hey, listen, I've got other sheep in a different pen. I need to go get them and bring them with me as well. So Cornelius is one of those sheep in another pen. And now the, the, the whole heart of God from the beginning to reach the world is now going to be seen. And, and, and God is going to show that to Peter, that that's always been the case. Uh, Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 6, it says, I will also make you, Israel, 
a light for the Gentile nations, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. And so it wasn't a new idea. Now, hey, you know, I've come for the Jews and, and now I'm going to open the doors to the Gentiles. That was always the plan. Through Abraham, what did he say? He said, you're going to be a great nation. Those who curse you, uh, I will curse. Those who bless you, I will bless. I'm for this nation. But he says, through you, Abraham, and this nation, the whole world will be blessed. You see, so it was always in God's heart to reach the world, we just didn't come to that time. And now in Acts chapter 10, he's trying to get that through to his Jewish uh, people. So notice with me that when you walk in light and you respond to the light that you do have, more light is given, see? So here's this God-fearer guy. He's not quite a Jew. He hasn't you know, gone through Jewish ritual rites, but he's on the outside and, and he's responded to the light that he has. And, and Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 12, he said, to those who are open to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But to those who refuse to listen, even the little knowledge they have will disappear. So Cornelius has responded to the light and truth that his conscience has, has seen and heard, and God says, okay, you've taken a step, I'm going to give you more information. I think that's pretty important. And so he's praying, God, show me, show me. And the Lord tells him, send a few guys to Jaffa. It's called Jaffa. It's about from here to, um, from Caesarea to Jaffa. It is 30 miles, like going to Costco at Novato. All right? So I like to put it in terms like that. It helps me understand. And so he says, hey, go down there. There's another guy named Simon. There, there's two Simons. One is called Peter. One's a leather worker. That's what a tanner is. And he's living by the sea because leather workers use the ocean water in the processing of, that, of those animal hides. And now what, you, what we forgot about was the last verse of chapter 9 that said after Peter arrived in Joppa and raised Tabitha from the dead, he stayed for a few days with Simon the Tanner. Well, every Jew caught it, but we didn't catch it. It was what? Tanners uh, de de dealt all day long with dead carcasses, and that was a no-no for Jews. So they just stayed away from Tanners. Tanners were considered, uh, you know, unclean. So for Peter, Peter's kind of getting it one step at a time. We see him to go to Samaria, very good. <laughs> we see him going to Lydda and then Joppa, very good. And now he's staying at a Tanner's house? Oh, the Lord's really working at, in Peter's heart to bring down the walls of Jewish prejudice and narrow-minded thinking and to, to uh, help Peter to grasp the wonderful grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So off they go. Now I can imagine the, the dispatched Gentile soldier saying to Cornelius, you want us to go and get a Jewish apostle? We're going to knock on the door. You know, he's going to say no. He's a Jew, right? Not only, there's a double problem here. Not only are they Gentiles, but they're the occupiers. They're the oppressive uh, extension of pagan Rome upon Israel. So, yeah, boss, you want us to go down there and say, hi, we're Gentile occupier oppressors. Do you want to come with us? <laughs> yeah, and he says, listen, I told you an angel appeared to me. Go, and let's just trust this God of Israel. Let's pick up. Verse 9. So about noon, now the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. All right, so just so you know, there are two visions, preparing two guys with two visions, one a Gentile in Caesarea and the other one a nice Jewish kosher boy living now in Joppa, all right? So as they're arriving, the guys from the north, from Caesarea, from Cornelius' place, as they're arriving to Peter's place at the Tanner's house by the sea, Peter's getting a vision. Now, here we go. He became hungry. He's up on the roof to pray. 
He becomes hungry and wanted something to eat while he's praying. Peter, please. And while the meal, while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat and have a barbecue, buddy. (laughs) The have a barbecue part, not quite in the text. Verse 14, (laughs) surely not, surely you jest, Lord. Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up, go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I've sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. (laughs) Why have you come? The men replied, well, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man. He's respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Oh, yeah, you don't do that if you're a pious Jew. And so number one was commissioning Cornelius. Number two would be preparing Peter for his aha moment. So what an entertaining scenario we have here. I love this story and this vision, right? I mean, sometimes we're distracted. You know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak, right? And so you go to get into your prayer place, wherever it is, and you get all settled in. You turn the lights down low. You turn your music on or whatever it is you do, and you sit down, settle in, and there you go. You get your hands up. He's seated there, you know, and then the first thing you think of was what? A breakfast burrito (laughs) with a hot cup of coffee or the phone rings or you've got your list of what you need to get done in the day. You're like, dear Lord, if only I had a breakfast burrito, (laughs) you know. And so here on the patio, I picture him sitting down. the, The roofs were flat and they were used as patios. So... He goes up to the roof. He sits down, puts his hands up like a good Jew, and he starts to kind of dove it and just kind of start to think. And he's thinking, man, lamb kebabs. What I would do for some warm, fresh bread dipping sauce. And so the Lord said, you know what? You're hungry. I'm going to use this, buddy. So it's funny, a Romans 8, 28 moment here, right? The guy's hungry. So the Lord says, I'm going to use this. You know, in fact... The hunger is going to make him pay better attention to the spiritual lesson that the Lord has for him. Romans 8, 28, it's a wonderful thing. So the Lord lets him fall into a trance. And before Peter's mind's mind's eye comes from the Lord, kind of a, a heavenly living menu. All right? So from the heavenly cafe that the Lord Maitre D was running, he is going to bring down today's specials for Peter. You're hungry? I'm going to put on a little barbecue for you, buddy, and I'm going to tell you the items on the menu. But listen to this. According to Deuteronomy 11, uh, Deuteronomy 14, Leviticus 11, there are lists of things that a Jew can eat and a Jew cannot eat. That is called kosher. The word kosher means fitting. What is fitting for a Jew to eat? It had, biblically speaking, zero to do with health. I don't care what you say. Show me in the Bible. Just show me in the Bible where it had anything to do with health. You will not find it. All right? I've had this conversation for 33 years. It's not there. It's always about holiness. 
they do this, they worship that, they eat it this way, you're different, you're not going to join them in that. Holiness, that's what it is. It, does it have health benefits? I don't know, maybe, but it doesn't say anything about that. So Peter knows what's on the list, it's kosher, and what's not on the list. So the Lord says, here's what I'm serving today. Peter, I see you're hungry, and uh, here I am. Here, here's your menu, all right? Number one, we've got braised rabbit, all right? Rabbit's a no-no, all right? Braised rabbit with currants in a coconut cream sauce, all right? <laughs> now, if that's not your liking, we've got some ostrich steaks with balsamic vinegar and honey. Ostrich? Ostrich? <laughs> Not on the list. Uh, number three, and if you don't like ostrich, how about a spicy rattlesnake ancho chili? That sound good with fresh cornbread. You know, things that crawl reptiles. No, no, no. No good Jewish boy eat any rattlesnake meat, but the Lord is serving it. Saying, you hungry? Okay, how about this? Frog leg fricassee, all right? <laughs> Black garlic, shallots, and baby spinach. Now, raise your hand if anything on that menu sounded remotely good. All right. Gentiles everywhere. <laughs> How about piggies in a blanket? <laughs> you know, yeah, the Jews don't do piggies in a blanket, you know. All right. So <laughs> the Lord's all, okay, Peter, make your decision. Come on, boy. I'm waiting. You're hungry. Hello. And, and, and he says, Lord, no. Okay, two words that don't go together, all right? Lord and no. You can use no in, the, in like the conversation, but I wouldn't recommend you put it right after Lord because you're saying, Lord, supreme master of the universe. No way. Uh, yeah. So he says, no, you know what? Suddenly, Lord, I've lost my appetite. You know what? Um, uh, no, thank you. I've never eaten yucky food that makes you defiled. And then the voice says, you know, actually, Peter, dietary restrictions have been lifted. In me, all foods are clean. No, they're not, says Peter. <laughs> he says, yeah, they are. Peter says, no, they're not. <laughs> and he says, a third time, yeah, they are. And I think maybe the look really helped. <laughs> now, <laughs> some... <laughs> some Disciples are like Cornelius. They're the one-time disciple. You know what? Cornelius is a soldier. He's under authority. When someone tells Cornelius to do something, even though he's a pagan, he knows, I gotta do this. Somebody over me, like an angel wearing sunshine for clothes, <laughs> yeah, he told me, you know, you might think about doing this, and I was like, yes, sir, one time, done. Pagan response. Peter, the Jew, who walked with Jesus for three and a half years. No, nah, uh nah, uh nah, uh Three times. What do you think the do you love me thing was three times for? Do you love me? And he's like, oh, you know. And then he goes, Peter, do you love me? And then he goes, oh, do you even like me? Oh, did you not know that? In the Greek, it's do you agape me? Do you agape me? Do you friendship love me? Yeah. Tears like that. I know nobody hears like that. I mean, we just, just tell us what to do, Lord, and zippity doo dah, we do it, amen? <laughs> Not really, no. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't want to get struck dead up here. <laughs> don't be serious. All right, so verse 17, love this, genius of God. Someone explain this to me. That's why we need 10 million years to understand stuff, and we got more than that coming. How does, how does the Lord, while Peter's scratching his head, he's got the other part of the vision coming down and buzzing at the gate, right, at the same time, and then the Lord, the Spirit, now involves, because, psst, Peter. There are a few guys downstairs. There are three of them at the gate. Uh, braised rabbit, ostrich steak, and rattlesnake chili. <laughs> All right? There are three of them. You'll get it here, because Peter gets it a little bit better than you right now. But anyway, we've got these unkosher, yucky, 
non-scriptural people downstairs. I sent them, it's cool, go with them, Peter. Now, the word in verse 20 that says, don't hesitate to go with these Gentiles, listen, it means making no distinctions. Oh, don't you be making any distinctions. So when Bray's rabbit shows up at your door and two days ago you would have gone, ew, don't think about it. Do not make distinctions between you and them. And so Peter's getting it because he says, come on in. And the angels look at each other and go, yes, and <laughs> high five. Because he's getting it. He lets them come in and so in they go. You know, he didn't answer the door and say, Hey, what's up, Gentile dogs? You know? <laughs> that wouldn't have worked so good. You know what I'm saying? Now, the three guys start to tell the story. They say Cornelius, who happens to be like frog-like fricassee, all right, because he's the commander, right? He says he's an Italian, he's a Gentile, he's the military guy here, and he sent us, we need you to come up. The angel appeared to him and said, you may have something or someone that he desperately needs. And so he's seen an angel and we need to get busy. Now, fresh in his head, I'm sure, is echoing what God has made clean. Don't you turn your nose up at, all right? So he opens the door and says, come on in. So you got three Gentiles, a tanner, and a Jewish apostle under one roof becoming brothers in the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. Verse 23. So the next day, Peter started out with them. Okay, so he spends the night there. He starts out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. We find out next chapter that there were six of the brothers went with them. Back up to Cornelius' house. Verse 24. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence, but Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, "Uh, you're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew like me to associate with Gentiles like you. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, that's the reason I came without raising any objections. May I ask you now why you sent for me? So we've got God commissioning Cornelius, number one. We've got God uh, preparing Peter, point two. And now point three, God uniting men's hearts. So the journey began that day from Joppa back to Caesarea, and it takes about a day and a half. The journey back then, they'd go 20 miles a day, right? So they made it all the way to Petaluma, got a room at the Sheridan, and then finished the way to Novato. All right, it helps me. That's all. I'm the one, a visual learner. I have to see it that way. So Peter's come a long way from the backwoods of Galilee. He's in the big city with wealthy people. You know the centurion was wealthy. They made someone around 20 times what the average Jew made in a day. And so it's a big house, big living room, important people, all Gentiles. This is really a big deal to Peter. And so uh, Cornelius has everything ready. You know, here's a God-fearer guy. He's not fully born again. He doesn't even know Jesus yet. And he's already witnessing and and working with God. It's just a pretty amazing thing. But what I see is a lot of anxiety building up in those few days, waiting for Peter to come. And so he's collected all his important friends and family and the people he loves. The famous apostle uh, Peter is coming to my house, and the whole place is on pins and needles. And then the lookout kid, isn't there always a lookout kid, right, on the porch? He comes running in, they're here, they're here. (laughs) They've just pulled up, Dad, they just pulled up. And so poor Cornelius, he's overcome. I mean, he saw an angel sent for this guy, and here's the guy. And he just collapses in reverence. And Peter goes, man, you know, hey, get up, man. I'm just a guy like you. Peter, red-faced. And first things first, I like what Peter says first. He, he understands he's, it's very awkward. <laughs> Jewish man, never been seen before. 
in a Gentile house of Roman occupiers, all Gentile, staring at him. And there's like silence, because <laughs> everybody knows uh, we shouldn't be doing this, right? Or you shouldn't be doing this. Are you breaking the laws? Or, you know, we're like Gentiles, and you're like the Jew and all of this. So here's what he says, paraphrase. He says, uh, okay, folks, first of all, everyone take a deep breath and relax. Everyone in the room knows full well this isn't supposed to be happening in Israel. A religious Jew like me mixing socially with non-Jews like you, it's a big cultural no-no. But just so you know, God has shown me not to look down upon or consider someone spiritually defiled if God has made them clean. Now, actually, we see that Peter has done the math, right? Because God didn't say anything about not calling people unclean. He's only talked about food. But Peter's making the connections. Oh, that's not about pork chops. It's about people. So he says, everyone at ease. We don't need separate couches. We don't need separate menus or separate silverware, which they would have done. That's why I didn't have a problem coming up with these Gentiles or being in your house or being right here with you because God has taught me a lesson that God-fearing Gentiles are on equal footing with God-fearing Jews, and for me not to look down my nose at you who are seeking God. And so let's finish up. Then he says, why'd you send for me? And here's the answer. Well, Cornelius spoke up. We'll finish the chapter. All right, so Peter, four days ago, I'm in my house praying at this very hour, three o'clock, Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was so good for you to come. Thank you very much. Now we are all here. Listen to this building. We're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Pressure, <laughs> verse 34. <laughs> then Peter began to speak. Ah, aha, I now I get it. How true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. We're going to define what that means. 36. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who's Lord of all. And you know, you've heard what has happened through Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee. Whoops, I need glasses. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, verse 38, with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, a.k.a. the cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Oh, he, he wasn't seen by all the people, but by eyewitnesses, witnesses whom God had already chosen by us. We saw him, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone, and now here's the line that broke Everything, all heaven broke loose here. That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came upon all who heard the message. The circumcised or Jewish believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the yucky Gentiles. <laughs> 46. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? 
They have received the Holy Spirit just like us. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay on with them a few days. All right. So number one was the God commissioning Cornelius. Number two was God preparing Peter. Number three was God uniting hearts. Number four was God saving, uh, now God sa- saving souls. Number four. I got it. God saving souls. So now Peter wants to be brought up to speed. He's standing there and he's saying, okay, so what's up? Tell me what's, what's going on. Cornelius is more than happy to reiterate the story about the angel. You never get tired of telling that story. And nobody in the, nobody in the room uh, grew tired of it either. They all heard it. And by the way, Peter got the whole thing too. He's already been told. This, everything that he's about to be told, he's already been told that at the gate, right? So he's still not fully there. He wants, he's buying a little time to connect the dots. So Cornelius says, gladly, <laughs> Peter, I'll tell you what happened. Uh, okay, so the other day, uh, right about this time, actually, 3 o'clock, an angel, clothed like with lightning, tells me that God sees me and he recognizes all my efforts and he instructed me to send a few guys to go get you. He gave me your address and everything. <laughs> Cell phone, email, he threw the whole thing in there. Sorry, just, just, just saying. All right. <laughs> now the tension is mounting. As a speaker, I just like freaked out right about here. Listen to this. So here we all are, Peter, packed room. There were 120 Jews on the day of Pentecost for the Jews first, and we think there's probably 120 Gentiles gathered for the day of Pentecost for the, for the Gentile believers, and we're gonna see that here. So here we all are. We're all set up from, by an angel from heaven, We're sitting now in the presence of Almighty God. We're waiting for you and the message God has given you. We are on the edge of our seats. We're dying to know uh, what has God told you, Peter? We're all ears. Speak. You know those opportunities when you feel like God has moved heaven and earth and there's a hush in the room and the angels are all staring at you. And you know, oh, it's my cue. I gotta say something right here. Somebody says, if only I knew how to get to heaven. And everyone goes. <laughs> and there you are. And you're like, dear Lord, please help me not mess this moment up, right? And then you try to do something. Well, Peter says the same thing. Actually, it's kind of a real preacher's dream to have a meeting that's set up by an angel. Pre- <laughs> Prepared by the Holy Spirit, arranged by God, you've got an eager audience dying to hear what you have to say, and not to mention they're all trapped in one room. <laughs> it's wonderful, I think. <laughs> well, the light comes on right in the moment. The download goes connected, and he gets it, and he goes, oh, now I see. Now, it's interesting to me to note that he says, you know, twice. You know, you know the story. You know what happened. You know from the beginning, John the Baptist, you know how God gave the message to Israel. You've heard about what Jesus did and he died on the cross for our sins and and here's the part that just really broke them and started the whole praise. He said, whoever puts their trust in him receives forgiveness of sins in his name. What did that mean to them? This is the message they've been dying to hear, that they weren't second-class citizens, that God loved them, and whoever whoever came to Christ could have new life. It didn't matter if you were Jew or Gentile, or if you were thin or fat or tall or short or rich or poor or white or black, or you were a murderer or an adulterer or a thief. Whosoever, Peter said, anybody from any place, having done anything, can just simply come to the Savior who died for the very things that you think are keeping you out. He made a way for even you who were way far off and now can come simply to Jesus. And one guy goes, hallelujah. 
That's, what, that's how it all happened. And then the next guy said, hallelujah, amen, praise God. And then the other one, and then the Holy Spirit started giving them gifts. And then they started, you could hear a little bit of the tongues. Now, tongues is a gift, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where we speak praises to God. It's man to God, if you read your Bible, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4. Whoever prays in a tongue, prays not to men, but to God. It's man to God. They hear that. And tongues, in whatever setting, has a familiar sound to it. I've been to the Philippines. When people who don't speak English, they speak Tagalog. And I heard in a prayer meeting, tongues. It has a familiar sound to it. It sounded like the tongues I have heard at a prayer meeting here. I've been to Japan. They, in a setting that didn't, they didn't speak English. But the, the speaking in tongues has that sound. Ah, so the Jews recognize, I, I hear tongues. And the word is, they're astonished. So here we've got, we've got just six born-again Christians who happen to be Jews who are astonished that yucky Gentiles could just get spirit-filled, just like them, without having to go to Sunday school to learn about Moses, to have a list of do's and don'ts. You can't eat kangaroos, but you can't eat buffalo, or you can't eat all of this list. None of that. And they're just praising God. Oh, hallelujah, praise you, Jesus. They're like, what? They're astonished. Peter's mouth is dropping open and says, can anybody stop these guys? There's going to be a, a rampage to the baptismal tanks. No one can stop them, right? So none of this, oh, you've got to come through Moses. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to become a Jew. You've got to stop eating this and start eating. No, no, no. Whoever believes in Jesus shall have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Bam. Happiness, joy. No laws, no rules except the moral laws of God, which anybody who's born again is willing to do. Just beautiful. The Holy Spirit comes upon them in power. Just a marvelous thing. I guess they were astonished because they didn't hear uh, Peter's opening line in verse 34, which the devil likes to take and twist. So we're going to spend a little time what it means in verse 34 when Peter's aha moment says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what's right. This is a verse the devil loves to twist take out of context and twist, twist into a pretzel called universalism. So New Age people who think that all gods are the same, and as long as you're a good person who do, does what is right, what this verse says, God will accept you. Well, let's define what this means. In light of this context, God does not show favoritism in this, that it doesn't matter what nation or state you come from, all can come to Christ. So he doesn't show favoritism in that regard. Whosoever will can come, Jew or Gentile. That's the understanding there. And then it says, God accepts uh, anyone who believes in him, who reveres him and wants to get right with him. And so here's what they say. And I've had this argument with people using this verse. They use this verse to say, See, Christian, God shows no favoritism. You think you got the whole plan, you Christian, you evangelical Christians. Look at the verse in your own Bible. God shows no favoritism. He accepts people from all walks of life, all lifestyles, uh, all religions. Oh, no, it doesn't say that. That's what they say that it says. It says God accepts all men from all nations who fear him. Who's him? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that, because I'm going to tell you. John chapter 1, verse 29 says, No one's ever seen God, but God, the one and only, has revealed him to us. Jesus Christ has revealed God. In John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus says, Whoever's seen me has seen God the Father, period. John chapter 10, verse 30, I and the Father, God, 
we're one. Okay, God accepts every man from every nation who fear him. That's the ticket they like to leave out. Well, him could be whoever, no, it can be only one. Hebrews chapter one, verse three. Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. That's who it is. So if you revere him, he accepts you. And then it says, well, how about, and, and they do the right thing. See, they do right. Ah, by whose judgment? It's not right by what I think is right. It's right according to the Bible. And so in the Bible, Paul says, are we Jews any better than non-Jews? Not at all. Jews and Gentiles are total sinners. As the Bible says, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, none who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless, spiritually speaking. There's no one who does good, not even one. So when they say God accepts anyone from any nation who does what's right, cannot mean in your own understanding of what that means because there's nobody who does right, biblically. So what does it mean? It means when you come to God and fear and revere him, he will make you right through the provision of Jesus Christ and you receive him and all righteousness now is a result of a gift of righteousness, of being put right with God. That is what this verse is all about. And so they'll say, well, you Christians love to look down on other people and say, unclean, unclean. Oh, really? And so you're not supposed to be doing that. Well, because all men are clean. It says so right here. God has made all men clean. Ah, let's talk about that. Because God has made a way for all people to be clean does not mean that all people are clean. Because at the end of the age, you have heaven being occupied and the Lord saying that nobody unclean shall enter that city. See, so he says, outside are the dogs, those who practice the occult, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood, those who are unclean are stopped from coming in. So universalism says, hey, this verse says, all men are clean, so stop calling them unclean because God has made everybody clean. He's made a provision to make anyone clean whosoever reveres him and comes to Christ shall be made clean. That's the understanding of the verse. And you say, you took a lot of time to try to explain that. Yeah, because we live in a world that loves to take verses like this and say, relax, you uptight evangelical fundamentalists. It sounded like I just said a bad word, but actually, I, I did not. Let us balance grace with warnings and exhortations to people. I think what I take away from this is that we need to, as Christians, deal with any prejudice or offense that gets in the way of us bringing the gospel in love to somebody in need. I think that's something that really we need to take to heart because everybody has different degrees about what kind of sin turns you off more, all right? And so if you're not careful, you start in one sense to say, unclean, we're not giving you the gospel because you're yucky, right? In that sense, we take this passage to heart. I was on a plane, I've told you this a few times because it really spoke to my heart. I was on a plane, I was sitting, kind of trapped in an area <laughs> with a few people and we were all sort of looking at each other. It was that arrangement there. And a woman had too much to drink and I was reading my Bible. And for some reason, she just zoned on me and she started tearing me to shreds talking about how I looked, my appearance, about Christianity. She left nothing unturned, just, just loud. And now, I have a lot of wounding in my own heart because I grew up in a, a home where alcohol was a problem. She pushed all the buttons, and I despised her in my heart. I, 
I wrote her off the plane. I hope we all crash. And, and, and you know, everyone survived except her. Yeah, you know, it was, uh, you know, and I know I'm the only one who ever has problems with sinners in here, right? So I got up, I walked around a little bit, just, just despising her, wrote her off the face of the earth. And the Lord said, you're reading your Bible. She's dying in her sins. What if I had something to tell her? What if I had a verse? What if I loved her, even though she's hurting you? Could I get to her through you? Who else is going to tell her? One of the stewardesses? She's been drinking as much as that woman. Sorry. <laughs> if you're a stewardess, I'm sorry. Uh, honestly, they're, well, he's not a stewardess, so it's, <laughs> it's safe. Joppa, don't miss this, is a site where the Lord told one prophet, hey, I love yucky sinners. Would you go and tell them? I love them. I, 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 you know, I want to restore them, the Ninevites. And he says, no way. From Joppa. I want to open my heart to the Ninevites. Jonah, how about it? No way. Goodbye. From Joppa. And then the Lord, 600 years later, says, Peter, I want to open my heart to the yucky Gentiles. How about you? And he says, yes, Lord. Yes, from the same place. Are you a Jonah or are you a Peter? Now, closing thought. If you are a Peter and you're saying, I'm a Peter, I want everybody to know the Lord because the Lord says, you know, he desires all men to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. And it's not his will that any perish, but all come to repentance and have life. Be very careful how you go about winning that person. Be balanced. The answer isn't keep the hard, offensive truth away from them. It's tell them the truth. What was Jonah's message? You got 40 days or this city's going to be overturned. Now, I'm not recommending that we go to all of our friends and say, you know, turn or burn, right? That gets old in a heartbeat, doesn't it? But listen, folks, listen what the grace of God doesn't say. Oh, come as you are. God is love. There's no problems. You know, we just accept and love you. We're not like the other Christians, so narrow-minded, uh, naughty, naughty evangelicals who all they do is judge, judge, judge. You better not fall into that. You need to be balanced so where you have fun with them, you love them, you're giving, but you have a line that you're able to say, warning, the bridge is out. I know other people have told you this, but I don't want you to go thinking that I actually think you're okay. Just keep on going to your destruction. I'm going to love you enough to tell you that. I'm not going to tell it to you every single time I see you. But when I'm with a person and in relationship with a person like that, I'm always thinking, laughing, joking, giving, aha, small talk, small talk, window, window. I'm thinking, I'm going to tell you the truth. I say, if I drove my car off a cliff because the bridge was out, and you knew as my friend that that bridge was out and you knew I was on the road headstrong. I kind of heard about it, but you never took the time to tell me, hey, the bridge is out. Are you crazy? What are you doing? And I plunge off. I'm at the bottom. They cut me out with the jaws of life. They air vac me to UCSF. I got it all in my head. <laughs> I'm paralyzed. My spinal cord snapped. Now I can barely move my arms. I cannot use my, my legs. I got a wheelchair. I would love to have my attendant roll my wheelchair up to your front door and, ring, and have them ring the doorbell because I'm unable to ring the doorbell myself. Ring the doorbell. And out comes your lovely face. And I say, seriously? Seriously? Not a word? Nothing. Just patting me on the back. Oh, you're not like the other ones. You don't even believe. I didn't even think you believed it. And now look. Hey, if I would have told you, 
You would have taken my head off. We wouldn't even be friends. I'd rather you have tried. I'd rather you have thrown yourself in front of my car and let me run over you. And then we could both be like this. (laughs) Oh, no. So watch out. You think, oh, I'm just going to be a reconciler, a lover, a grace giver. The grace of God is this. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and ungodly lifestyles. That's how Titus defines the grace of God. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. I hope you know that when you're being grace-led, that you're remembering what is grace. It teaches you to stop doing sinful things. And if you think that you're offering grace without that caveat, that's the word, (laughs) without that stipulation, then you don't got grace. You got something else. My professor said, listen, you don't want to come off more loving than Jesus, more merciful than God, right? So be very careful. Let's just find a balance. Grace, laughing, loving, supporting, being generous, being like a real relatable, loving person. And, hey, oh, I can't go there. There's some lines there. Be careful. Do you know? you know what can happen here? I plead with you. I cry with you. Please don't. For the love of God in your own soul, please. And then go back. Loving, laughing, going to movies, doing your thing. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this lesson. Let it get a hold of our hearts. It's just, it's complicated, but Lord, you kind of, you kind of light the way for us and simplify things. Help us to take what we needed for our lives out of this passage. In Jesus' name, amen.